Hello, 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 and welcome back to a sort of homecoming. This is the first chapter, Surviving Chappaqua, Bullet the Blue Sky. It's important for me to note that I am the sixth of seven kids and that my house was pretty chaotic growing up. Um, When I think about my early childhood, it invokes a feeling of chaos. My mom was overstretched in every direction, always going a million miles an hour, always late for everything, rehearsal, practice, church, you name it, we were late. But somehow all was forgiven because it was Clatesy. My mom was loved by everyone in our town and she was so much fun. Just an awesome mom. All was forgiven even by our parish priest who coined the phrase Clatesy Standard Time, which is a very lovely way of saying always late time. This infuriated my dad. It really frustrated him. He even would set clocks ahead and tell my mom different times to be at things just to try and get her on time. But it was futile and it was just the way it was. So the rules of 113 DeVoe, the evening routine was, well, the more I share about it, the more I hear, it was totally bizarre. I mean, bananas. My mom loved my dad so much. She wanted to create the perfect home for him. It was really important for her to have this ideal home setting. It's it's um, probably important for me to note that my mom was orphaned at about 13 and was shipped. She was from Manhasset, Long Island, but was shipped off to California to live with an uncle I don't think she had ever met before, her and her little brother. And she was basically raised by, um, this uncle had five of their own kids, I believe, maybe not that many, um, but a bunch of kids. And so she was uh, basically um, raised by the Sisters of Charity, the nuns. Um, Fun fact, the same school that Meghan Markle graduated from, Princess Meghan of Sussex. So Anyway, I think my mom really, I know my mom worked super hard all her life. She got a scholarship to Trinity College in D.C. And um, her brother volunteered for the draft. I think he, the story, the rumor is that he doctored some documents so that he could go in early. Um, And he did every tour possible in Vietnam and very decorated in The uh, army had lasting, cascading consequences to his time in Vietnam, but I digress. So uh, my mom was at Trinity, and my dad, uh, Timothy Allen Byrne of Westchester, New York, was at Georgetown, and they ended up uh, getting together and fell in love And it was really quite a Cinderella story for my mom because, you know, she was raised, she was so poor and um, orphaned. And here was this handsome, educated guy who um, fell in love with her. And when my mom went home for the first time with my dad, she couldn't believe, you know, how he lived. And I think she felt um, 
like she really had to earn her way into that environment on some level. Um, and so she was constantly trying to please my dad. Um, she loved the stability of having a home and, um, she wanted to give him everything that he wanted. So that, I mean, I guess that was seven kids and a house in Jabaqua and a, a home and everything. So anyway, my mom worked really, really hard to create this incredible environment for my dad. And so when, by the time my dad got home from work, he, the house had to be clean. The kids had to be bathed and in the basement. Now it was a very nice basement. It was, had all the bells and whistles. It had gym mats and TVs and exercise equipment. And it was super fun. Um, but it also was the basement and we, my dad was not supposed to hear us. Um, it was, and I'm quoting quiet time. And it was at this point that, you know, we had already been fed. So my mom cooked us a separate meal every single night because when it was time for dad to get home and dad to be fed, they would have before dinner drinks. She had changed her clothes, freshened up her makeup. She um, fed him by candlelight and it was usually meat and wine and the reader's digest. And this was normal. This was every single night, unless um, we were all eating together at a restaurant, which happened quite infrequently. But once in a while we had, we belonged to Mount Kisco Country Club. We had to go there once a month or so for dues. I'm not really sure of the arrangement, but Anyway, so my home life was, oh, and then in the mornings, my dad left super early. He went to daily mass before uh, going to work, and then he came back after dark. And sometimes he would go running uh, before dinner. So, I mean, the when I try and think of my dad being around, um, my dad was not really around from my perspective, from, from my feelings. So that was my... Um, introduction into relationships and what marriages were about. And the more I talk to people, the more I realize that this was really a, a very bizarre uh, setup and not normal. And anyway, so that was one example of my childhood. Um, some other things that happened that were kind of pivotal in my, uh, or important in my childhood. Um, I had, I really loved swimming. Swimming was my, my jam. I was obsessed. I swam in year round. Um, my coach at Mount Kisco Country Club, Emmett, said, I, you know, I had potential. I loved him. I'm still really close with him. He's actually um, coaching me to do, you know, I've done marathons. He's a running coach and he's, designing a program so that I, I don't get injured in this next uh, feat that I'm accomplishing. So Emmett is a, a lifelong mentor, coach, friend, guide, you name it. So, but swimming is really, really important to me. And my best friend in the swimming was Emily. And Emily was so much better than me. She was naturally talented. I worked so hard just to be in the same lane as her. Um, literally, not figuratively, because <laughs> in swimming, you know, you're in lanes that you're almost as good, so pushing you. And 
Emily was just so much better than me. And I really looked up to her and she was my friend and her parents were divorced. And, you know, like sometimes when we had sleepovers, I was at her mom's house, sometimes at her dad's house. Did she like her dad more? Did she like her mom more? Her parents didn't go to the same swim meets. Um, my dad really didn't go to my swim meets other than the Mount Kisco Country Club ones, but whatever. And so I think I had this real fear instilled in me that uh, about divorce. And she, I mean, I didn't know anybody else who was divorced and it seemed really complicated and, she, you know, stepbrothers and sisters. And she was having a, she was having fun for sure. Her but um, yeah, I didn't want that to happen to my parents. And I don't know, I just always had this super big fear that they would get divorced. Um, and, you know, they definitely did, <laughs> but not for a few years after that. Um, yeah, so that's that's an important thing. I, I think about that a lot. And um, one thing that happened to me when I was like super young, maybe six or seven, we were all at church as a family, which we did every Sunday. Um, and then we would go to the little store afterwards and uh, have donuts and hot chocolate. And I had to use the restroom. I went to the bathroom and, you know, I was just meandering around. And suddenly I realized it was like kind of quiet in the little store. And my whole family was gone and I was flipped out a little bit, but then I was like, well, I know how to get home. And I figured I would just walk home. It was up a big hill and it's a main road, but I had dreamed up this whole scenario in my head. Like, oh my gosh, my mom is going to be so worried about me. She's going to, um, come tearing down that hill and I better walk really on the grass so that I don't get hit you know, cause, cause I mean, she's going to be super worried and, you know, it's probably like a mile or so. And the whole time I'm ruminating and thinking, oh my gosh, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to get so much attention and it's going to be amazing. And, you know, I get home and absolutely no one realized that I was not home. And, you know, it was a non-issue and my mom was like proud of me for making it home dry, walking all the way home so that's a little bit of a window into how I felt as a kid just like I didn't get uh I did get tons of attention that's not it I just needed more and I don't know what that is about me I don't know why but I just it never seemed to be enough attention I always felt lost in this big, crazy family. And, you know, I just, I don't know. I don't know what that is. But anyway, so when I was about nine years old is when things started to really change for me internally, a shift, a, a something happened. And I, I didn't, there wasn't one specific instance, but um, I think my family had gone, so these are like, I'm going to pull these different, um, threads to bring them together. My family had gone on a trip to, um, Epcot center, Orlando, well, Disney world. And for some reason we went to this market, this like tented market. And, 
my dad was buying these sand dollars that broke into angels. And I asked him who he was buying them for. And he said, a friend. And I said, what friend? And he said, just a friend. And that stuck in like, like a nail in my claw. Like, what is the deal? And so that that's in my psyche and in my head. And then at the same time, I'm swimming before and after school. And, you know, I'm nine and swimming is everything to me. And my um, winter coach, um, we'll just call him Mr. E, um, said to me, you know, if you dropped a little weight, you'd be really fast. You'd be much faster. And I thought I had this literally had never occurred to me. Uh, I never thought, you know that if I was skinnier and I wasn't a fat kid, I was exercising like three, four hours a day. And probably, um, when I look at the obese children of today, I'm definitely not obese. I was definitely stronger, a stockier kid. Um, but I wasn't fat and I was super strong and I was like, not, I had, I think I had just probably turned 10, um, that summer. So, um, nine or 10, and th- these words just stuck in me again, just like a squirrel in my head, just going over and over. And yeah, so that was in my head at the same time. And then I was home, I was watching PBS and there was this special and it was a girl in a wheelchair and she had thrown herself off a bridge. And I just wondered like, what would make her do that? Why would she do that? And she had had anorexia nervosa and she had whittled away to nothing. And she just couldn't find the will to live. She didn't have God in her life. This was about God coming into her life and how it's, how his uh, almighty presence saved her and ultimately put her on a path of healing. But all I said was anorexia nervosa. What is, that's just, you don't eat. And she was on TV and she was getting all this attention. And the next that you know, when dinner was called that night, I pushed food around my plate and I had a couple of bites, but didn't really eat that much. And this was went completely undetected, of course, because there were nine, 10, even 11 people eating dinner at one time. Um, a lot of times <laughs> my food was not my own anyway. I mean, people take stuff off your plate. Um, my mom had cooked for the masses and, you know, it wasn't an intimate, calm, Uh, serene experience. It was just madness around the dinner table. So yeah, I remember feeling this incredible accomplishment, this like, oh my gosh, I didn't eat a lot and I feel really powerful and I feel proud. And so that just kicked it all off for me. And that trend continued and continued and I would restrict more and more. And I started becoming obsessed with weighing myself once, twice, five, five times a day, even before and after I ate uh, half an apple or did 500 sit-ups, you name it. The scale became my barometer for life and seeing every day if I could cut back a little more, a little more, a little more. And, you know, eventually my mom did notice um, and I did lose weight and my coach noticed and um, I did get faster a little bit at first, but this was a very short-lived moment of glory because it was completely taken over by um, the the horror of anorexia nervosa. 
And, you know, at 10 years old, I was completely obsessed with not eating. And even when it started interfering with my ability to swim, I didn't care. The anorexia was more important. It was the most important thing. And I would write in my journal, you know, I don't want my parents to get divorced. And I just thought if I was sick, then then they would stick together. Who was he buying that Christmas ornament for? It had to be another woman. And, you know, I would actually talk to my mom about these things. She thought it was crazy. And I became more and more obsessive with um, routine and um, just had really bizarre um, OCD behaviors. I would I was in sixth grade and I would leave two minutes before the bell so I could walk home as fast as I could so I could get to the TV and start doing sit-ups while watching Guiding Light. And if I missed a certain like credit for Guiding Light, then I didn't walk fast and I then I didn't earn my granola bar. And you know, this was the kind of behavior and thinking that was driving me. And thank God for Gladdie, who lived with us a few days a week, helping my mom out. She was an absolute angel. Um, And she used to beg me to eat. And she was pretty much the only person who could get me to eat. And she'd just say, Meg, you got to eat. And, you know, so, and she would watch Guiding Light with me. And she would, I would have burns all over my back from doing sit-ups. And, you know, she didn't care about that. She just wanted to sit with me and she would just help me. Um, and she'd say, why can't you eat? And I just say, I can't, it's impossible. It makes me sick. Everything makes me feel sick. And so my parents, um, my mom really didn't, didn't believe that I was doing this to myself. She had to have a, there had to be a medical condition that was driving this. So as you can imagine, as someone who wanted just all this attention, um, going to all these different doctors and specialists and spending all this time with just my mom, not having to go to school, going to all these doctors and with no other brothers and sisters around. I mean, it was like incredible. And all I had to do was not eat. It was, it was easy. And I had all this time with my mom and we'd go to the city and go to the neurologist. And we, I mean, you name it, we went to every doctor and I just got skinnier and skinnier and, you know, I developed fur on my back. I was freezing all the time. Uh, You know, it it was horrible. And I got down to just such a dangerous, scary weight. And eventually my mom just one night in the middle of the night said, you know, we have to go to the hospital and her maternal instinct was spot on. And I was having cardiac issues I was 56 pounds and I, you know, I was short. I was, you know, four foot eight, I believe, but I, you know, I was a tiny wizened little thing. I had been 77 pounds at one point. Um, So, I mean, I had lost basically a third of my body weight and that's, you know, I went into the hospital and hooked me up to all the machines or whatever. and you know, I was terrified. I'd never been away from home, really. Slept over at my friend Robin's house maybe one time. Emily's maybe two times, you know, whatever. Not, not a lot of, not, not a lot of out of home experiences. And the hospital was 
Northern Westchester Hospital Center. And my parents did not put me in the psychiatric ward. I was in the medical. I was in peds. Um, and they felt very strongly that I would learn bad behaviors from the people with um, mental uh, issues and other eating disorder people, although they weren't convinced I had an eating disorder yet. And yeah, so I went into Northern Westchester and that was crazy. And my understanding is that I was just in for like two weeks and I had to eat and they were checking all the medical stuff out. And then I came home, back home to my house very briefly. I think it was just a day or two. I'm not 100% sure. Um, I asked my sister. She thinks it was just a day or two. My, it might have been a bit longer, but it was not a good thing. And all the while, there was a Dr. O um, who specialized in eating disorders who told my parents that I needed a six month program um, in White Plains with other people suffering. Yes, I was the youngest by a few years, but I had all the classic signs and it's really where I needed to be. And my parents just could not commit to that. Um, actually, I remember saying I was okay with it, but they were not. And so then I ended up being readmitted to Northern Westchester. And that's when um, the real uh, I don't know what to say. Um, that's another chapter. And that's when some horrible things happened and some wonderful things happened. And um, let's just say that I don't think the techniques that were used on me were used in any classic eating disorder environment. And I don't think they were effective um, long term because here's the story. Here's the deal, right? I was 45 before I was free from disordered thinking around food. And, you know, so that's a really long time considering I was first hospitalized when I was 10. So that's 35 years of, you know, I'm not saying I was anorexic the whole time. No, that's completely untrue. Uh, I had disordered thinking around eating. I had disordered eating and I was never free from from the bondage of eating disordered mind and the the techniques that were used on me were hideous and horrible and um, unkind like a tough love and I'll get into that that's for the next chapter for sure um, and yeah some some terrible things happened to me but some also beautiful lights came into my life and hey, I survived, I've survived it and it set me up for, you know, the next 35 years. But I'm here to tell you that that is not the way to go with uh, girls that are suffering. And it was pretty cruel. Um, but yeah, that's the next chapter. So I guess I'm going to leave it there. This has been a little bit longer than I anticipated, but um, yeah, I want to just cut it off there and say that if you guys are, anybody is struggling with disordered eating or an eating disorder, please, you're not alone. There is so much help available now, so much help. And some people that I um, think are really incredible, um, who will, can help and can you know, help you with your struggles. Um, naturally, Nina, is um, an anorexic recovering 
using whole food plant-based. She has great inspirational videos and um, she's just awesome. And then Tara Kemp has the Reconnect Academy. And this is an incredible resource, um, healing your your problems with food, your disordered feelings, thinking, eating patterns um, through whole food plant-based. Whole food plant-based is, in my opinion, and in my experience, the absolute key. It is the crux. It is what saved me from the squirrel cage, the the rattling back and forth. I mean, I may have looked up, looked and appeared fine on the outside, but my mind was constantly going, constantly calculating, constantly worried, and it isn't anymore. It's not. I'm completely free. I eat as much as I want, whenever I want. With, you know, just as long as it's one of it's a you know, as I put it, a green light food because it's actually food that was meant to nourish our body and not chemicals. So anyway, I digress. But next time we sit down, um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my Northern Westchester Hospital experience and what kind of came out of that, and ultimately um, that leads into. My parents' divorce, which is shortly after I'm released from the hospital, not immediately after, but yeah, they, you know, sick kid aside, it didn't keep them together. And um, that was hell. My dad leaving us was just absolutely horrible. And I know plenty of people can relate to it. It is so common. Um, But for some reason, it was really devastating to me in particular. Uh, I think it was devastating to all my brothers and sisters in their own way. But me and my little brother, Dennis, we really seemed to take the brunt of it. And yeah, so that's the the next couple chapters. Next, I'll go and deep dive into the hospital and anorexia nervosa and my parents' divorce and pretty much my high, high school years and then we'll get on to Georgetown. So anyway, thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. I hope that my message helps somebody, anybody, one person. I hope it's a little bit entertaining and a lot uh, useful. And if you're enjoying this experience, please share it, like it, review it. And I hope everybody's having a beautiful day. And thank you so much for tuning in. Namaste.